on this film. Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward, here's the pass. Antonio's through, chance to fall, what a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikel Antonio! Hello and welcome to another edition, the last edition of 2021 for the Knees Up Mother Brown podcast. I am joined today by my two little pigs in blankets. It's... Jack Elderton and Callum Goodall. I told you it was going to be awful, didn't I? I said it was going to be awful. Mm. How are we doing, gentlemen? <laughs> are we uh, recovered from that yet? Oh, Recovering. Oh, I'll be there in yeah. a sec. Oh, yeah. I made an absolute Christmas meal out of that one. Um, we are this week. That was worse. That was worse than the first joke. This week we are looking at Spurs in the cup. We've got the horror show of Southampton and the redemption of Watford, as well as a, a bit of a year in review. Uh, a little bit of a preview ahead and some transfer talk as ever. Um, as I always do, if you'd like to get in touch, correspondence can be sent to many of the other. We've got the email address, podcast at kumb.com. It's also the forum thread at newsletterbrown at kumb.com. And then the Twitter, which is kumb.com, all words. You can also comment on the youtube videos i'm I'm, i've i've only just learned that that's a thing but i wouldn't Mm. want to respond to anyone on there i'm far too arrogant and um, (laughs) even get in touch personally Um, even a friend of mine who is listening from hong kong who's a newcastle fan uh, gave me some feedback over christmas and thank you chris for listening i'm sure that was a very bizarre experience for you and for me to find out um (laughs) gentlemen we're we're past christmas we shouldn't dwell on that because who likes happiness? Uh, we should instead look at two two defeats and a win. So it was, wait, it feels like a century ago, but it was, we're about a week ago now, aren't we? From Spurs, just over a week from Spurs. It's it's a long time in football with all these cancellations and the, the never-ending Christmas period fixtures. But it was, a, it was a really interesting game, Jack. It was not quite what we wanted, but certainly interesting to watch a good game when we played well in. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean... It's it's one of the funny things that comes out of watching football from a more analytical perspective and, and doing the podcast and having to write things up and stuff is that I strangely came away from the game feeling more positive than I did negative, given the fact that we just lost to Spurs in the quarterfinal of the League Cup. But the strength of the performance and um, our ability to to uh, employ multiple systems with a back three, um, as well as the as the flexibility we've shown with a four as well um was was really positive um and there were some really positive individual performances as well um so there's some really good things to take out of the game yes i say exactly the same can it was a it's an odd one when you're watching that game and you're very frustrating at the end when you can't seem to break through but we were good and we deserved more yeah 100 percent. i thought we played really well um it's always going to be gutting when you don't get the result against arguably your fiercest rival um and particularly when you return home to the town that your mum lives in, which is full of Spurs fans. Uh, <laughs> I actually arrived back home on the day of the match, so it was painful. Um, but yeah, no, definitely some um, heartening stuff to see. And like Jack said, the sort of fluidity throughout the game to to be able to switch it up um, at various intervals and, and actually perform pretty well in most, all, yeah, all the shapes really. Um, bodes well. Uh, but yeah, just disappointment was the main takeaway, but we shouldn't be too disheartened, I don't think. No, it's, it must be weird for Spurs to win their cup final in a League Cup quarter final, but there we are. <laughs> I'm sure they'll make a DVD of it soon. Um, there was, for all the positive was talked about, Jack, and you, you kind of started with a, a happy tone there. There was the goals, the goals we conceded, uh, kind of sloppy and annoying more than anything, actually, I'd say. Yeah, well, both both really disappointing. I think everyone by now knows on that listeners to this podcast that low cutbacks uh, are our kryptonite and uh, mm-hmm. certainly my kryptonite as well because they drive me insane and um, it's another two two of them here um, and yeah just really really I mean the first one is uh, is particularly awful uh, the second one less bad uh, less marked mistakes but both come from really uh, shoddy def- defending and um, and in a way that's obviously a, a a negative that you've got people combining and, and making a series of, of errors at the back, but also f- from a, from a structural perspective, 
in some senses, it's quite nice that Spurs' two big chances came from a series of errors because actually the structure limited them so much that they didn't really create much outside of, of, of people making stupid mistakes. So if you um, put your first team as into that setup, I think you see it a completely different result. But it's easier to cut out those kind of individual mistakes than have to fix a whole system, I guess, yeah. is a point. But we've, we've, we've spent a while talking about a player we wanted more there was enthusiasm for a player to be brought in Callum I'm going more to you than to Jack on this one Issa Diop if I if I if I unnecessarily attacked uh Jack's support of Ben Rama for no reason early in the year I'm making you at that point the the the, the leader of the fan club for Issa Diop and it's been a chastening <laughs> period to be that man I guess and that first goal was well it was a lot of the hallmark of the problems of Issa Diop I guess yeah, yeah, he's been dropping stinkers left, right, and centre for a while now, uh, mm-hmm. and that was really the the cherry on the icing on the cake. Um, and yeah, it was just painful, and it's 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 all, almost so predictable as well because it is like you say, it's just all the things you know that Diop does, but you kind of at the start of each time when you see him on the team sheet, you're like, ah, oh, he'll be better today. He's he'll be better today, definitely, and he still does the same stupid mistakes, but just charging off that back line, it's it's. Yeah, it's it's a hallmark of his game that just doesn't seem to be able to be ironed out, um, unfortunately. And I, I, yeah, I think I'm going to have to jump down off my throne of defending Diop and kind of seed that he is uh, probably not the player that we all hoped he would become. Um, yeah. I'm guessing that you look at someone, someone like that and I would guess why it's even more frustrating for Moyes, Jack, is if you're making these very disciplined setups, you've got in Diop is someone who is, I mean, ill-discipline but it probably is the best word. He can't. He 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 makes decisions to do defending that he doesn't have to do, and he quite often fails to do it to the detriment of the others around him as well. And that goal was that illustrated, really. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's quite clearly infected by the spirit of Yannick Balassi, and um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's really not what you want in a centre half, and particularly not one that's partnered with Craig Dawson, because in Craig Dawson you've got a, a turret that you move around the pitch that is very good at doing what he does, um, and when you put someone alongside him who's disciplined and allows him to focus on on his best strengths and will cover uh, behind him to uh, to compensate for his his lack of pace, then you have a partnership that can work. Um, if you've got someone who's charging out of defence and consistently exposing massive spaces, um, then you also turn Craig Dawson into a really poor defender, the defender that Watford were really happy to get rid of. So I think it, the issues with Diop are twofold. You've got him making a, a, terrible decisions, sometimes that he's able to rectify by being very a very, very strong physical presence, by having those spidery long legs that we know he can get into um, side challenges that it looks like he's not going to make. Um, but when he doesn't rectify them, he's not got a defensive partner alongside him that can compensate for that lack of that, well, that chaos really that he, mm-hmm. he creates. And um, so on the one hand, you never want a center back that creates chaos regardless of the partner. Um, but secondly, when you've got a player as limited as Craig Dawson, please don't put someone next to him who exposes consistently exposes all of the limitations of his game. The, the other area to move on this, and I know you've you've had uh, some lovely conversations with the, the the best people of Twitter about, but it's one of the one of the people you can blame on that is being picked as a blame. Maybe lesser of the three is Rice, who hasn't followed the run, and there's Lanzini. And talking about Lanzini is going to be a thread through this podcast for the next three games. I mean, how much of the blame goes to them as well for not? Should they? I mean, one of them should be picking it up. I assume in my mind it was Lanzini. Well, I think I think uh, both on, on both goals uh, are at full. Um, on the first goal, they let Hoybier go far, far too easily. Um, I, I think it's just completely unacceptable from the pair of them. I, I, I think there's lack of communication. Um, there's a, probably a bit of a lack of a partnership there in terms of defending that deep, and, and two of them being um, combined in that position. So I don't know whether you know they each think the other one's going to go, but. Um, or whether it is just as poor as they stand there and watch Hoybier go and, and neither of them um, are quick enough mentally to respond to that and to see the danger. Um, usually you'd expect Rice to be the kind of player who can spot dangerous situations like that and 
um, and ant- anticipate them even uh, and be there to, to to stop them from happening. But in this case, um, you know, Hoiberg has got a free run straight through the middle of the midfield and into the box, which is incredibly disappointing. Um, again, though, you, I mean, you kind of have to counterbalance this with none of it happens if you've got if, if the up isn't making stupid decisions in, in the middle of the mm-hmm. defence. Uh, you know, and people aren't having to be switch. Do you know, like when we were really struggling under Pellegrini, you create a situation where everyone has to be switched on at all times because you can't trust what anyone around you is going to do. Yeah. Um, and you see the same thing when Diop comes back into the side. And I think, you know, if you're Rice and you're used to playing, or even Lanzini, I mean, anyone, and you're used to playing with a kind of stable and consistent defence behind you, you're perhaps a little bit less switched on to these things because you can trust people behind you. Um and you see that exposed here and, and still they've got to do better. And then on the second one, Lanzini gets dribbled, which is just, you can't do that inside your own box. Just, just silly. Um, you know, if you're not, if you're not the kind of player who's going to win that ball, then don't go for the challenge. Just, just screen them from being able to get at the defense. And then Rice should be dropping just very, very simple principles of midfield. If someone goes in for a tackle, drop yourself two yards so you can cover in case they get beaten. Um, and so, yeah, both of them uh, poor on both goals. We can move on from the misery of the goals, I suppose, and I'll, I'll move on to something tactical, which is kind of interesting and gives us a chance to lift our spirits a little bit. The box midfield, and I, this is a great chance for me to then go to someone else you've been championing in, in a second for you to talk about, Cal. Um, the box midfield were, was an interesting and kind of new approach in that game for us, Jack. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's something you can explain better for those of us uh, like me who wouldn't use the term box midfield very often. <laughs> <laughs> well, so... Usually when we play a back three, and, and when we have done under points, we play a 3-4-3, three, three, which transitions very easily into a 5-4-1. So you've got a very um, simple low block um, shape that you retreat into, um, and then a, a kind of very um, attacking in the wide spaces, 3-4-3, three, three, that overloads wide areas and, and allows you to get crosses into the box. Um a box midfield or a 3-4-2-1, something I think we've seen Chelsea use quite a lot, um, where basically your two defensive midfielders and your two wingers in your 3-4-3 move around the pitch as a square. Um, Particularly when when you're defending, it's very, very obvious to see them all moving in this kind of box shape. And what it allows you to do is it it seeds space in wide zones. But for example, against Spurs who have, uh, I wouldn't say they're massively reliant, but they're quite heavily reliant on their two central distributors from deep zones. So Hoybier can skip both drop and assist the centre-back. So I don't think they've got much progressive ability in that defence at the moment, uh, particularly not from the wide defenders. I don't think Ben Davis or Davinson Sanchez are, are remarkable at, at playing the ball forwards. So they have these two uh, defensive midfielders who drop and take the ball off of them and then progress the ball forwards from there. Both of them have got very impressive ability at making long diagonals, uh, particularly Hoiberg. I've seen a lot um, picking out Reguillon, who gets high on, on, the, on the left-hand side. Um, and and the box midfield allows you basically for your wingers to instead of dropping off and protecting the wide space and helping the wing backs, it allows them to press onto the distributors and to try and force your opposition to speed the game up more. Um, and that's what happened. I mean, in the first 20, 25 minutes of the game, I'm not sure exactly when the goals happened, but in the first 20 minutes of the game, it, it wasn't a very exciting match. And I think um, our system was doing a very good job of stopping them from doing what they do well. And their system was doing a very good job of stopping us from doing what we do well. Uh, once the goals happen, you kind of see the chaos that us playing at Boxwood Field can, can bring. So um, the game massively sped up um, as a result of it. Um, so it meant that we seeded quite a lot of chances, um, but also it meant that we got the absolute best you could possibly get out of players like Vlasic and Lanzini because you have them operating in central wide spaces in the half spaces being able to get on the ball and turn in really threatening areas um, and and allows Bowen to not have to marshal that central space entirely on his own without people being close to him um, so in terms of the setup from from a personnel perspective from who we had available for the for the game the three four two one was a really really exciting uh, and sensible uh, system to use to exploit um, the talents of players we had available in forward spaces, and then uh, switching to a, a three four three, which is something we're much more comfortable with in the second half, was was also very very sensible. Um, the amount of chaos that the the three four two one had brought around brought about in the first half. Um, had led to a lot of chances, but the amount we were conceding obviously isn't stable, especially when you've got someone like Diop at the back making the decisions he's making. So switching to a 3-4-3 and, and a false nine playing in the middle of the pitch and allowing Bowen to, to go back out to playing um, wide and, and Fornells came on and played um, 
for a long stretch of the second half as, as that false nine player. I mean, we had over stretches of the game with over 90% of possession away um, against Spurs where they had uh, admittedly also um, a kind of A slash B team, but much more, uh, I'd say a much stronger team um, than, than the team we were playing. Uh, to be able to get that much control against them, I, I know we lacked um, something in the final third. And what my argument would certainly be that that was a lack of quality um, from the wing backs because we created so much space for them uh, with that system in the second half. There were so many good crossing opportunities, so many good opportunities for combination play out wide that were um, not taken really by either wing back but the, the the use of the two systems was 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 very 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 good Vlasic in that one and we've been I mean we've all been waiting and I know Cal maybe more than us as well having <laughs> kind of followed it with the numbers as well it, it was almost as we had a, the little brief glimpse of Burnley where he looked good had those key passes made the big chance that felt more like his breakout performance I guess Cal yeah yeah definitely and I think it's um yeah, no surprise that we've seen that happen with him playing in more of a central role. I think we've said previously when we've seen him and we've seen people complaining that, oh, he's not worth the money we've paid for him or oh, every time he comes on, he looks wasted. And it's because he's been asked to come on and play out wide, which is just not where he flourishes. And you give him the chance to kind of run things in the middle of the park and surround him um, with support and, and he not a, a great performance out of the park. Um, just some of the numbers, I think. So he ended the game... Um, with 100% pass completion, which, I mean, that's pretty banging when you're playing in, yeah. in that area of the pitch. Um, what else have I got? Sorry. I, I, I must admit, since um, Jack mentioned Yannick Velassi and Issa Diop, I can't stop thinking about Issa Diop on Lord of the Mics <laughs> now, if he appeared. I just can't stop thinking about it. So, Jammer, on the off chance Jammer listens to this podcast, please <laughs> get Diop in the basement. <laughs> I, I think that's an off chance. I think there's an yeah. off chance, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a big off if we're looking at off chances. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. So as I was saying, hundred percent pass completion, brilliant. Hundred uh, percent uh, of passes into the final third and boxes were, com- uh, were completed as well, which is great. Um, three shot assists, brilliant. Uh, two recoveries as well in the opposition half, which I think um, is really good and something we've kind of picked up on before is that one thing he hasn't. Um, lacked in showing despite perhaps not being able to create as much as people hope is that his energy and his commitment to chasing lost causes and stuff he's, he's done that consistently uh, and he was getting his rewards uh, in that game across all areas which which was great to see um, and as well drawing fouls he did that he does that in a lot of games but it seems recently he seems to have done it a lot more um, which is I think is important for a team that a uh, has proven to be quite effective from set piece situations and be in situations where previously we might have just lost possession because someone might have failed to get it under control or I'm thinking of when in recent games we've kicked it up long or persisted to kick it up long to Antonio whose touch is essentially let him down and then we just lose the ball doing it to Vlasic he's managing to get it under control and despite facing away from the opposition goal he's turned it into a threatening situation because he's he's made the defender commit and then won the ball and then we can all move further up the pitch and get possession in a more advanced position. On he uses part, his body is, so well, doesn't he, Carl? That's it. Yeah, yeah. He 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 leans into the ball really well and invites pressure, um, but does it effectively. It would be very... You see it happen a lot where players inv- invite pressure, but almost too blatantly, and they don't get the, the foul because the ref sees exactly what they're doing and goes, no, come on, you bought that. I'm not giving that. Whereas Vlasic, he, he, it's so fluid and it, it, it's all in one motion that it looks... And a lot of them are fouls, but he, he definitely knows what he's doing. It's not just that he's been wiped out. Um, and that, I think, yeah, is really positive. And it's sort of small things like that that can go unnoticed, I think, um, but are really important, um, particularly in games where you might be up against it and you kind of just need a break in the play to sort of re-establish your shape and, and advance up the pitch and have a bit more control. So, yeah, I was really pleased. I hope it's a sign of things to come. And I hope that we see him operate more in a central location on the pitch because clearly it's where he flourishes. And um, yeah, I think with Ben Rama going off next, is, is he done now actually? Has he played his last game before AFCON? He's got one uh, more. I think he's got one more. One more. Um, we'll no doubt see more of him, I, I think, undoubtedly. And hopefully this is the sort of level of form that he can he can maintain. War Prowse flicks it in, header towards the back, sticking it in! Saints have retaken the lead. Jan Bednarik gets the final touch. It felt like 
a Maswaku who maybe wasn't at his peak and he has had strong performances there and a, a left side that wasn't quite functioning seemed to be getting all the ball as well. <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah, it was bizarre. To be fair to Masuaka, I actually thought he had a pretty decent game. So uh, when I when I say I'm going to talk about the overemphasis on the left side, I think it's reasonable to assume based on recent performances that it's probably going to be targeted at Masuaku. But to be fair, of the two, him and Benarama, it was actually Benarama that was kind of nullifying the threat on that left side. Um, largely just dead crossing, I think 20% cross completion rate from about six crosses, I think it was, across the game, which obviously partly that comes down to the quality of Southampton's defending usually or the quality of the attackers usually. But there was crosses that were blazing out over the byline before they'd even got to a head height. Like, it was it was ludicrous to watch. Um, and it only became more annoying in the second half because I did a bit of a sneaky and went and got a nice nice seat close to the left flank uh, which meant I could watch it in ultra HD <laughs> it was not nice um, but yeah it was just annoying I think the numbers I think we had 23 attacks down the left uh, and far less down the right um, but on the flip side of that it was A it just wasn't working but then Southampton had obviously realised that we were just not doing well down that side and we're pressing us so hard. Masuaku lost the ball seven times in the opposition half and like the percentage of their attacks that went down our left flank was just incredibly high. I think 17 on the right compared to five on the left. Um, so clearly they'd, they'd seen that it was a weakness of ours, but we just continued to persist, which... <sighs> Fine if you don't have another option, but on the other flank, which seemed to be underutilised in that game, we had Bowen and, and Sufau, who, who are clearly better. Well, Sufau's a better crosser, in my opinion, uh, than Masuaku. And Bowen is just on fire at the minute. So why not try and run everything through him rather than through a Benarama who, on, on that day, couldn't seem to get the ball in the box? It was just infuriating. Um, I'm sure there was some... Reason reasoning for it. I'm sure the coaches were on the iPads and, and decided that this was the right thing. But from the fan point of view, it was just annoying. Me. Um, and then we saw Bowen come and when he did get the ball down the right-hand side, it was just so much more effective. And as much as we say they're our kryptonite, which they definitely are, a low cutback seems to be quite effective for us as well in the, in the attack. And I'd like to see more of them, um, particularly from Bowen, because he has the ability to sort of you, you almost wouldn't expect it to be a low cutback from someone who's left-footed playing on the right side because it's awkward body shape-wise, but he kind of just has that ability to square up a parallel with the byline and just poke it in with his left foot or whip it in with his right foot, which is really dangerous. Um, it's so worked hopefully in the we last two it. games, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which is why I was so incensed that we didn't... If we're going to overwork one side, why not the right side? Because everything that we try down there is working, whereas everything we try down the left wasn't working. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting because we were I suppose the counterpoint maybe we were funneled down there we talk about a, a, a manager and a team that we've got one point from and haven't looked particularly good against in the two games this season so you wonder whether has, has Hassan Hootel found a system Jack that has worked to negate the things we do well Sorry, I'm just stuck on the idea of Cal doing a sneaky, so very sort of I'm just <laughs> more stuck on the idea of tiptoes <laughs> walking through the London Stadium. Of getting to a stage where your own eyes means ultra HD. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. I was really pixelated back there, though. No, you were just further <laughs> away, mate. You were just this dude. You um, know what I mean. <laughs> I very much do. Um so no, yeah, the system on, and on, Southampton. Yeah, yeah. So he hasn't who has changed his system from what Southampton usually play in both games against us, which is obviously very interesting uh, because he clearly thinks he has a way of playing against us that is effective. And uh, I would agree. I think the use of uh, a four-one-four-one. Uh, I was actually kind of worried prior to to Watford uh, because they've they've often used a four-one-four-one as well. Um, but the use of a four-one-four-one where you where you can release your two central midfielders ahead of the one. So you've got four defenders, a six, who's your one, and then four flat midfielders and then one striker. So the two central midfielders, in this case, I think they were James Ward-Prowse and Mohamed El-Unissi. Um, you, you have Romeo behind and you can release um, Ward-Prowse and El-Unissi to, to go forward and press. Uh, and pretty much freely. I mean, if you watch Ward Prowse's performance, the guy is chasing everything across the whole pitch. Uh, and our Unicy very similar. He's not quite as good at, at pressing, but they're interchanging. They're just chasing the ball. Um, and effectively, what that does to us 
Um, I, I, probably also important to add here that when you play that system, you have to have a defender like Salisu, and Salisu has been in just the most outstanding form against us mm-hmm. in the two games. I mean, just absolute worldies from a centre-back. Um, 10 out of 10 performances in both games from him. Um, yeah. I'll just chuck in quick, please. Uh, Salisu's got the second highest uh, pressure success rate in the Premier League this season with 42.7%. So he's he just perfect. It looks very much like... Good. He, 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 Diop wishes he was Salisu. Yes. <laughs> I yes. wish Diop was Salisu. <laughs> <laughs> I, we're all with you, Issa. Well. Um, but yeah, so you've got him, you know, jumping out of defence in the way that Diop wants to, uh, but winning the ball. Uh, just winning the ball consistently over and over and over again. Um, so his aggression at the back, um, combined also with a striker who can start your press really aggressively in Brozier, um, and and Ward Prowse, who, who's a, just a magnificent presser, so much energy uh, and so so good at closing things down quickly. Our um, Unity there doing the same thing, and, and effectively what that forces us to do is it it it, it negates a lot of our, our central progression, and that's what we can be very very good at, where we can be very mm-hmm. threatening. As we've seen a lot this season, Rice carrying the ball uh, through central spaces, and when you've got people harrying you at such speed in the middle of the pitch, it's very hard. Um, to, 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 to carry through that. So often we're forced to go wide early. Um, and, and frankly speaking, as much as I love them, um, the fullbacks at the club, other than Cresswell, don't really have the passing range to then get us beyond in a way that isn't simply just hitting the striker. Um, and that's often what we've ended up doing against Southampton, um, which is funnel wide early, Balls straight into the striker, and then you've got Salisu there, who's just dominating. I mean, he dominated Antonio in the first game. He dominated Bowen, and Bowen actually did quite a good job. I mean, I think Bowen did very well under under a huge amount of pressure, but he's so dominant over those balls that come in early into a striker. He just nips in in front of you, or it's. It, I mean, you get away with it because he's so timing it so well, but just throwing his body in at the right moment to throw you off balance, winning headers. Um, so that combination for them is so, so effective at stopping us from getting the ball um, into their uh, defensive third and then being able to, to, to camp them in there. Because actually, if they do have a weakness, it's once they're camped in uh, defensively, I don't think they're a very strong footballing side at all. I don't think their threat on the counter is as good uh, without uh, uh, Brozier. I don't think... Um, Salisu's actually that impressive a defender once he's forced to defend inside his own box at all times. Um, so, yeah, very, very strong performances from them across both games and um, a slight concern maybe in that there's there's a system that clearly works against us. Another tactical thing you picked up on uh, before was Carl Walker-Peters playing at left-back. I mean, it's probably not much of a choice for them. They've been hit by injuries. And the way he cut in, when we were watching the game, you mentioned, and it's interesting to mention things that Vlasic is strong at in terms of defending upfield and things he's less strong at. And he wasn't following the run as well. And did he, I think it was, if you pointed out when we were talking about it, that he didn't quite understand how to track Carl Walker-Peters because he was cutting more inside and was doing the underlap. I think so. Carl Walker Peters is a very similar thing to to Jao Cancelo at, at Man City. He, he he comes inside and, and, and adds an ad- additional midfielder. And whether I blame Vlasic for this, I'm not entirely sure. But we clearly didn't know how to deal with this as a team. I don't know whether it's Nikola Vlasic not knowing how to deal with it, or whether we just didn't. It wasn't well coached. I mean, we didn't have much time turn around for this game. But um, but yeah, you've got Carl Walker Peters. Who's who, I mean, it, for the, the third goal again, it's a Carl Walker Peters free run into central midfield, and then Suchek picks it up late, and and, and there's a foul, um, and and then the goal comes from that. Um, but yeah, tracking those runs didn't work effectively throughout most of the game, um, and actually, often what ended up happening is you've got no protection uh, for for the right fullback, so Sufal in this case, because um, Vasic was either drawn inside and. And, and therefore not able to, to cover or was not following the, the run in the right way and, and, and therefore not covering the central space. So you've kind of got this 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 awkward combination and, and, and on Vlasic, uh, you know, we talked about how strong he is in central areas. Um, 
put him out wide and force him to be doing a, a, a different kind of defensive job. First game against Spurs, he's released to press high up the pitch. He's not so worried about things going beyond him because he's in that box midfield. So he could stay ahead of the defensive pivot. He doesn't have to come and add in to, to make himself a, a third player inside that or a fourth in a 5-4-1. Um, and then put him out wide and he's got to do much more covering defensively. And the first goal uh, for me, I don't think, Many people have spoken about it, but first goal for me comes from Vlasic not uh, following El Unice. He's, he's clearly the recovering player um, and he has him and, and Suchek actually turns around from what he's doing and points at El Unice and, and shouts at Vlasic cover because he's going to have to go out wide because actually Vlasic isn't there. Uh, arguably Vlasic should be, so Suchek can take the run of El Unice, but because he's not, Suchek has to cover. Uh, and Vlasic just carries on jogging. And he lets El Unice attack that central space freely with no one around him. Um, and then eventually it ends up looking poor uh, from Rice. Uh, but actually, you know, Rice has got far too much to focus on there because Suchek has gone across the cover. You, you need someone to be there to help you out. And Vlasic was available, uh, but chose not to, uh, to to speed into that space. It's an interesting because that is going to be, I, I mean, undoubtedly David Moyes, that's the kind of thing he's definitely going to pay attention to. And That's why he got subbed at half time, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And he's, 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 he's all about these details and making sure these players learn to do these things before they're trusted. It's probably why Vlasic hasn't been introduced quickly enough yet because he hasn't passed this test in the same way that Ben Rama didn't seem to have passed that test in his first few months. Um, but if, if we go on that goal and we look at it there, I think we can... I would agree with you that the, there's never a foul on Carl Walker-Peters for the third. And if it is, it's about 10, 20 yards <laughs> further, further back. I still don't think it was a foul. I think it was almost, you are bigger than him, Thomas, and you have leaned towards him. Therefore, foul. Um, but yep. the second the second goal, Callum, on the balance of conversation, I've had to come back to you. It's a little bit unfortunate. I didn't need <laughs> to. Uh, but I've heard a lot from Jack recently. Uh, it's it's, it's, it's I'm sorry. sorry to say again. I'm sorry to say again, it's Issa. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's he doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. This this for me is worse than the one against Spurs. I think it's just so dumb and just so unnecessary. Like, it's not even really that threatening of a position. Like, it happens so far up the pitch. He's just decided to absolutely steam into it, completely catch himself out of position, and then has left Dawson... Uh, a horrendous task of chasing down. Um, really blamed Dawson on that. I mean, I've, I've I mean, feel sorry for him more than anything. Well, I give I, I give blame to him in the sense that it's him that committed the foul. Like it, it's it is him that's done it, but he shouldn't have been put in that position in the first place because Diop should never have committed like so aggressively to the to the initial. Well, it wasn't even a challenge because he didn't make the he didn't get the challenge, so he's left Dawson with a. Uh, ridiculous like just an impossibly difficult task um and yeah i mean it's resulted in the penalty and the goal but yeah diop just again just a stupid ill thought out decision um that once again trying to make defending out of a situation in which he probably didn't actually need to defend in and if you're going to do it like you said earlier chris if you're going to do it at least do the defending. Like if you're going to make that decision, you have to get it right. And consistently he makes bad decisions and gets them wrong, which is just, yeah, unforgivable really. That's um, the thing. It, at least when it was someone like, it's the kind of thing kind of Collins might have forced the thing, but if he was going to go force it, he would make sure he just took the player out as well. Diop yeah. doesn't seem to have that killer instinct to go, oh, if I've messed this up, I'm going to have to kill this man. He doesn't, that's not part of his, his defending. <laughs> See, this is a this very, very good point, is that generally when you have defenders who make mistakes like these, um, James Collins is a perfect example. There is an understanding of if I mess this up, I'm going to have to accept either a, a, a strong yellow card in the orange territory or a red card. Um, and, and Collins did it all the time and it, it, it drove everyone mad because you, you, almost once a game you'd have him flying out uh, and he'd either get it perfectly right and clout the ball out for a goal kick mm-hmm. by kicking it so far or, <laughs> or, um, or he'd get sent off by just kicking someone. And, mm-hmm. and Diop doesn't either. He doesn't get there and then he doesn't do anything when he doesn't get there. You yeah. rarely ever see him making a foul in these situations. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and um, I said it earlier, but when if you've got a centre back that's consistently asking Craig Dawson to run towards his own goal, then uh, you, you are set up to fail. I'm sorry, you're going to concede two goals a game. It's just going to happen. Um, yeah. 
So, so there are positives from the game. And I think the, if we're looking at positives from the game before, because I'm going to have to stop the negatives, and that's me saying that. <laughs> it's uh, Antonio, quite a quick turnaround from, from the virus and has come on and had a good impact from the bench, scored a goal. I, I would, I, I, I would struggle to uh, praise his movement for the goal because he, he stands flatly still <laughs> for the whole of it. But it's the kind of thing that strikers do and score. And it was a positive to see that he looked... He looked that 10%, 20% better that may have come from having a bit of time off, Cal, even if that time off probably wasn't as comfortable as it could be, you know, with the virus around. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, he's, he's, we've, we've said in previous podcasts that he uh, just looks absolutely knackered. And I mean, obviously his time off was, was forced, but it has meant that in theory he's had an extended period of rest, albeit he, no one can know how the virus actually affected him. He, he could he, he could have been shattered as well, but it didn't look like he wasn't. It looked like he benefited from the rest. He was much more positive. His movement was a lot more positive. So that's one thing we'd really picked up on um, on the last couple of episodes, I think, saying that his pressing was bordering on non-existent, just probably because he was so tired and his movement in the box um, was frustrating at best, <laughs> probably. Um, and it's quite ironic almost that the goal, like you said, he kind of, he scores because he doesn't move and it, no one could say whether that's a purpose, purposely made decision and whether he's read the situation and gone, actually, if I stand completely still, it's going to fall to me, which is what some of the best strikers do. Like no movement is, is good movement because everyone else moves around them and then creates a space. But I think the reality is that Antonio probably just couldn't be asked and it just happened to fall to him, which is fine because he still scored the goal. But yeah, we, we shouldn't uh, over-credit him. Um, but yeah, I think across, like the goal, yeah, as fortunate as it might have been, the, the general performance across his time on the pitch was was much, much improved. And um, perhaps, I don't know, I remember speaking to my, my old man after the game, um, could be indicative of, of of a future role as he enters the latter stages of of his time at West Ham and career. He's is he not just like the perfect impact sub? You just bring on this absolute athlete who is pretty good in front of goal. And as he starts to get older and and we have to manage his minutes, I can't really think of anyone I'd prefer to come on as striker for half an hour and just absolutely bully a defence. At least realistically for West Ham. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I suppose the other positive, and that it links into and starts perfectly out in the Watford section as well, is Lanzini's performance, Jack. And he was, he was, not, he, he came on and changed the way we played, I think, from half time and probably helped balance what you were talking about as a weakness we had and has helped balance that in the Watford game as well. It's control, isn't it? It's tempo control. Um, it's uh, his anticipation of when to drop and assist his. Um, his other midfielders, we talked about um, some failures of, of his in the Spurs game, but the, the Southampton, the performance against Southampton and the performance against Watford, for me, uh, at the highest levels, he's hit since the injury. Um, he's performing remarkably well. Um, and, and while he may not be having the final third impact that we are used to seeing from a David Moyes West Ham team where the number 10 gets very close to the striker and scores goals, um, the transition into using a, a deeper kind of 10 that progresses the ball um, and getting the wingers closer to the striker looks a hell of a lot more threatening than anything we've done for a long time. Um, so, um, yeah, performing really, really well, progressing the ball as we know he can, um, helping out defensively when he needs to. A lot of that not really being, you know, impressive uh, tackling or, or, or anything like that, but just positioning himself in the right spaces um, to cut off options. Um, so screening, really. Um, but then even, I mean, I've, 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 you know, not praising his tackling, and but then for the Watford goal, it's it's him um, speeding forward, winning a tackle, um, and then progressing the ball forwards and passing it into Antonio before it's cut back uh, for Ben Rama. So. Um, he's he's performing very 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 well and 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 allowing us to to exert the kind of control over games that we saw um, against Spurs in the second half that we saw um, against Southampton for periods of the second half and that we saw against Watford for for long long periods of the first half. We talk about midfield muzzle as well. It's, it was his presence in that Watford game and just that chance where, where one of the uh, say Suchek or Noble was on the ball. And doing something forward, or Sutek say drifting forward for the goal. Have they got the confidence to play a riskier pass, do that drifting move? Because he just cuts in and sits there in case of the counter. Where we before, 
it was Suchek and Rice, and if one of them's gone, they are no man's land alone almost. Yep, precisely that. It's the there's a there's a there's a much nicer fluid kind of balance to the three with Lanzini in there in terms of defensive protection. Um, something you definitely need when you're playing Noble in the Premier League <laughs> at his age. Um, so yeah, no, uh, it, it, it helps hugely. It helps hugely in that game. Um, but the key thing I think we should talk about really is the is the overall balance and and and, and Noble, the role he performed and and what Rice can do and, and what Suchek has released to do as a result of the of the role Lanzini is playing, what it allows Ben Rama to do, um, the the space it gives Bowen, all, all of these things, um, are huge positives as a result of Lanzini's um, inclusion and, and what he can offer. But the change that you. You, you expect that to carry on going forward because it's basically getting more out of a front a front three than a front forward just by having someone to make a balance. Yeah, exactly. Look at me knowing things. <laughs> um, it was a game, the Watford game, one to enjoy for many reasons. Obviously, a win. There was something quite special. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a goal celebrated in the same way as Mark Noble's goal, where there was just genuine joy. His smile as he went away. They all looked desperately happy for him. It's meant that he scored in another another consecutive year in the Premier League calendar year. It was his last chance to score to keep the record going that he's got going. And he tucked it away. Um, but his performance was other than maybe five, six, seven minutes where he looked a slightly like he needed to get into the pace of the game, Gal, his performance otherwise was 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 brilliant. Yeah, yeah, really, really promising. And I'll be the first to hold my hands up that before the game started, I, I think I tweeted saying, what the hell is Mark Noble doing <laughs> starting a Premier League game? Um, particularly when all signs pointed towards Crowell being the perfect person to start because Rice, Rice is out and you've got someone who's essentially a screener on on the bench that isn't starting and I was very frustrated because I mean I guess the point still stands why did we bring in Alex Crowell clearly it's not worked out um whether that's just because Moyes doesn't rate him but yeah Noble was brilliant and who would have thought that in 2021 a 34 year old Mark Noble would have the majority of possession for a West Ham United team and play the full full match uh yeah it's just crazy um there was spells definitely where where he looked way off it, um, some stray passing. Um, but yeah, on the whole, it was really promising. And I think looking forward as well, the performance in general, me and Jack mentioned it a little bit before we started recording, um, just on the, note, on the note of that balance in midfield. If you just get Rice to come in and sort of superimpose him in the role that Noble played in that midfield against Watford, I think Noble in the game had 76% pass completion and Rice is someone who consistently is averaging like above 90% pass completion. If you get him to do that exact thing, you it allows Suchek to flourish. It brings Lanzini into the side, but you also have a, an essentially like Noble on steroids. Like his, his, his defending is better than Noble. His passing is better than Noble. It's more dangerous than Noble, but it also brings the best out of the players around him, which is something we haven't necessarily seen this season. Yeah, I mean, I, t- I, t- I tweet. Sorry, I tweeted before the game about the when the lineup came out um, with Noble and Suchek playing together in midfield. Um, that's inevitably going to mean that Suchek isn't going to be going forward because there's no way Noble can hold counters on his own. Um, turns out he can, and uh, <laughs> if you put Rice into that team. Uh, then you've got someone who can hold counters infinitely better than Mark Noble can, someone who can uh, pass the ball progressively infinitely better than Mark Noble can, someone who's going to be much more consistent in possession, much more consistently available. Well, actually, that's not true because Noble is very good at presenting himself as an option all the time, but someone who's going to be as good um, at presenting themselves as an option. Um, yeah, and if, if Noble can do it, then then you know what can Rice do playing that kind of role? It's certainly exactly. the, the ideal game for Mark Noble to play because what for bar five minutes were... I mean, they were abysmal. They they didn't yeah. they didn't put any pressure on a player. Really, they should have been trying to get runners. I mean, South. You could worry that Watford have played a similar system to Southampton before. Southampton would have made sure that Mark never had a second rest. Whereas Watford arguably allowed Mark Noble to play the game at a pace he wanted to play. I will I will say that I think he's still slightly better at cute passes than Rice is at those little things around a corner, like he did for the goal where he does it for Bowen to get in. It's just something he will try. That sometimes Rice doesn't mm. that he's getting better at definitely um the other one i suppose is 
if you look at the balance of play, we talked about the balance being very much down the left and where that was in the Southampton game. Swung completely in the other direction, Cal, in this game. It was, and to our benefit, as maybe the two, two of the three best players on the pitch, arguably the three best players, as Suchik does drift more right than left, we're, we're playing down that right side. Yeah, 100%. And that's exactly why <laughs> in the previous game I was calling for it because it's clearly our stronger side and I just don't get why you wouldn't utilise it. And, and yeah, everything fell into place against Watford. And yes, there is a tax on the fact that Watford were absolutely atrocious across the park, but just play to your strengths. It's kind of <laughs> rule 101, I guess. Um, and yeah, it was great. It was great to see them doing well. I thought Sufal was brilliant, actually. Um his crossing into the box was great. Um, it perhaps wasn't as accurate as we've seen, but that's, like I said previously, not entirely his fault. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's nice to see him seeming to hit a run of form again. I think since he's come back into the first team, whether it's through any fault of his own or, or tactical decisions, he's not looked like the Sufal of last season, I don't think, um, in terms of his output at least. Um, and... Even defensively as well, he's he's not been as good uh, number-wise. But against Watford, it was great. His his defensive dual success rate was much improved to his past two performances. Uh, and his crossing uh, output was way higher as well. Um, obviously, because we've, we've decided to go down uh, that right flank more so. And hopefully that's that's a trajectory that he can keep on. Because I think while Cresswell's out, it's going to be really important that, that we have Sufal performing at a level um, similar to what Cresswell was at the start of the season. Because we need to have an outlet on one side of our defence and clearly the left side is, is not a side that we should be looking to play out of with Diop and uh, Masuaki or, or Johnson going forward, which again, I, th- I thought he actually provided a nice balance to the defence as well and kind of forces us to play down the right because you've not got a left-footed player on the left, but if that's what it takes to get the best out of our, our attack, then so be it. That did feel to me like it was Sufal's probably his best performance of the season. Yes, like yeah, probably, yeah. Ar- arguably, Suchek's return to it and we've discussed Suchek ourselves and, and the balance in midfield but he I, I mean I said to friends they they were talking about bets before the game and I said well Suchek in the Europa League when he's played with Noble has sat and I guess any evidence that Lanzini had a difference on a very very basic level is the fact that Suchek didn't have to sit I suppose yeah. there's, also, there's also the Watford being awful argument to add, add to that as well yeah, but I mean, you don't set up to do that just because Watford are awful. I mean, you set up to do that because yeah. Lanzini is there to assist. Don't and 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 Suchek going. I mean, we have one of the best goal-scoring defensive midfielders in the world. Yeah. Why would you not release him to go and attack the box? I mean, there are a few defensive midfielders who spot the space that opens up for his goal uh, and steam into it. And I'm I'm going to be kind and think he he, he means it clearly shaped a shoot to the far corner um, <laughs> and then shoot straight down the middle of the goal. Um, so for me, it's a, it's a great run and a great finish. And um, and him making those runs is just so helpful to everyone else, the regularity of them. Um, you know, the, the amount of space it creates for Bowen when he does it. Mm-hmm. Okay, Suchek's hitting the box. Suddenly everyone shrinks, and goes narrower, and then Bowen's got all this space to attack. Uh, same on the other side, Suchek's hitting the box. Oh, now there's a crossing option for 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 from the left flank. Um, it it just works so well uh, with him getting forward that often. Um, and and you know the more often he gets forward, the more chances he's going to get, and the amount he converts uh, just on on a pure percentages and numbers basis, it just equals goals. Um, so why we wouldn't do it, I'm not entirely sure. And I'm a positive snow, and it's it's rare that we do this, so I should bring him up. As a, in terms of sub-performances, performances from the bench, I believe Masuaku's done everything you'd ever ask for for a substitute. He came on full of vigour, full of energy, quite quite defensively aware as well, Jack. I mean... Yeah, so look, it, but I've, I've talked about this on my Twitter. Between the 65th minute and the 83rd minute was probably some of the worst football I've seen us play all season. We were truly awful. Like, nothing about the way we were playing. I mean, we were brilliant up until that point, but from 60, minute 65 to minute 83, we were shocking. I mean, Sufal had 25% pass completion rate. Uh, what did I say? Noble had 50 or 55% pass completion mm-hmm. rate. I think Suchek only had about 60. 
no one could pass the ball. We weren't causing them any problems. We were causing ourselves a lot of problems. Dawson was having an absolute nightmare. Um, and it was starting to look a little bit concerning. I mean, Watford were getting a lot of control. Um, they weren't creating a huge amount because they do lack quality. Um, but if you allow a team that much um, license to get forward and let the fans get back on side, then you put yourself in a really, really dangerous situation with 10 minutes to go with a two-goal lead. Um, and bringing Masuaku on, he got a lot of flack for it, Moyes, but um, it was a perfect substitute's performance. He came on with a, with a clearly instructed to get higher and to, and to intercept things and to press higher and to disrupt Watford. Because as we were doing in the first half, when you disrupt Watford, not only do you win all of those high turnovers, but you also start getting them to just pass the ball off the pitch out of fear. Um, and that's what, it, that's what happened. He came onto the pitch, won a couple of high turnovers. All of Watford's play that they were previously stringing together fell apart. They started turning the ball over with ridiculous regularity. And then um, we created two chances you know, in the in in the final ten minutes, uh, that arguably, but you know, we should have scored both. Antonio should have scored um, again. It's Bowen, fantastic work on, on on both of them. Antonio should score, and then Vlasic does score, and then, um, well, I'm not sure what happens in the 95th moment, but I think you know, direct your questions to Craig Dawson because uh, it's truly impressive to somehow manage to go through the last ten minutes of a game and lose the ball as the last man three times. Um, it's, it, it's the, the problem is when you're focusing on Diop's errors, you're forgetting that Dawson's actually quite full of errors himself. I mean, I'm, yeah. he, he was a good example of of the kind of defender who will make sure they wipe a man out. Is when he went up for those headers, and we were discussing it, and the way he he smashes a man with a forearm, he's not doing it on purpose. He just jumps, but he's not, he's one of those defenders you just I will go through and I will wipe everything out with it. Diop would do that timidly. I mean, the the part that I said that you wouldn't want to be against him because he smiles afterwards and he picks you up like oh, that must have hurt. Indeed, you had me in the head. Um, I think <laughs> you mentioned that. Ben Rama, you call that dip. Ben Rama, once he was, once the game was done, he was pretty much done. I would say, Cal, there are other positives. The other two substitutes, Crowell came on with lots of energy and looked very disruptive, if not else in his cameo. And Vlasic, Vlasic's goal, hopefully, should do a lot for him. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. It's nice to see him on the score sheet. I think the goal may paper over some stuff that wasn't perhaps so great I think it's, it's easy I don't think his cameo was his his best performance I've seen basically he gave the ball away a couple of times made a few silly decisions but yeah I mean if he's coming on and contributing what you can't really ask for that much more than the sub it's, it's a perfect time to get a goal for him it's just per- yeah. I mean Ben Rama's about to go away he 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 desperately needed something uh, from, from yeah. these few games getting a goal now is, is exactly when we 100%. need to get one 100% really kind of end of Christmas. It was the gift he very much needed. <laughs> and his celebration was nice. It, yeah, it was fab as well. And oh, I the, saw the a whole team came up to celebrate with him. Yeah, well. exactly. Which is yeah. really good to see. Because um, I was not worrying. I mean, uh, as you ever would worry about a player who's perhaps come with such a price tag and expectations and isn't getting in the team perhaps as much as he liked. But I saw a... a statement that he made I think in post-match interviews perhaps um, where he came out and said that his family had been asking about his happiness at West Ham because he hadn't been playing and he was like no I'm happy here Uh, I get on really well with the team blah 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 I have to work hard and I enjoy that and the manager trusts me kind of thing so that was reassuring um, to see he's clearly a grafter and he shows that in his performances I think as we've said he's he's active all the time and like you say getting that goal hopefully will now um, yeah we'll see some better performances because I think against Southampton where he took that shot which basically consigned him to being hooked off and, and on the bench for the next game was perhaps him for trying to force that first goal uh, because he knew that there was expectation that he needed to do something soon because it had been X amount of time and he'd not done much or not scored and he's making bad decisions whereas now he's got that hopefully he'll approach situations with a more sort of level-headed and and clear clear thinking which would be good and it would be great to see more of them Lloyd Kelly has been linked recently now interesting one Bournemouth right in the midst of a Scotty Parker playoff push oh not, not even playoff push promotion push sorry 
but yeah. a good defender. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm yeah on board with this one. I think a lot of people on Twitter, it's, it's a name that gets bandied about quite often when you talk about left-sided centre-backs. I think obviously he's going to come up because everybody loves uh, an English player uh, in, in England. <laughs> uh, he's young, uh, so everybody loves a young player. So it's almost the perfect match before you even start to dive into sort of why he'd be a good fit for West Ham. But um, yeah, once I started seeing the links come up, I did did a bit of research and tried to uh, get my own evaluation on whether he would be a good arrival. And from what I've seen, uh, both numbers and video, he, he does look really good. Um, one thing that really stood out, uh, as, as always, with the centre-back in a, in a West Ham team is um, his aerial due percentage, which I thought was quite surprising, given he's only five foot ten. Uh, but he's averaging 4.75 aerial duels per 90 and winning 75% of them, which is, is really impressive, um, especially, like I say, when you consider his height. Um, and then that led me to think, OK, well, why, if he's so small, is he managing to win these headers? Uh, and it kind of links into... Diop's shortcomings is that Kelly reads the game really well. Uh, his concentration is brilliant and and the way he manages to beat t- strikers that are much taller than him to, to aerial duels is that his timing of when to leave the defensive line and attack the ball is absolutely spot on every time. Whereas even in the last two games, we've seen that Diop's timing to leave the defensive line and attack the ball is absolutely way off every time. So in terms of we're looking for someone to come in on the left side of the defence and replace Diop and also Bonner um, in the long run, uh, he seems to be a perfect fit because for all of Diop's failings, uh, Kelly seems to seems to beat them defensively. And then the flip side of that is his uh, attacking output as well um, because we've complained on numerous episodes of this podcast about our lack of build-up um, from the back in recent games without Cresswell and Bonner. And um, also in this episode, my emphasis on how we should be inviting the right side of our attack into the game more and making sure we're getting the best out of Bowen. Uh, And that comes into Kelly's um, long passing ability and his tendency to either hit the ball uh, in between the two centre-backs from deep um, or uh, switch across to the right flank uh, to runners in behind. Uh, I think in games against Sheffield United and Middlesbrough, uh, no, uh, Huddersfield, sorry. Uh, this has happened twice where he's landed the ball perfectly in between the two centre-backs and the striker's taken it in his stride and they've won a penalty both times. That sort of play is not something that we have in the squad at the minute, but it's something that we would really, really benefit from having uh, with the way we like to play. And particularly, I'm sure we've mentioned it before, Bowen is constantly making runs in behind, constantly, and is so often not found because we just don't have a player that can bar Rice, who can get his head up and make that pass. Um, but usually, um, Bowen's already made his run before someone's been able to give it to Rice to then make that pass. And then he has to just recycle possession elsewhere. Whereas if we bring in a centre-back who can get his head up under pressure as well, a lot of these passes are being made under pressure, get his head up, see Bowen's running across, hit him, boom, we're in behind. And that, that opens up a whole new level of attack, um, which I think would be really, really important for us. So yeah, for me... Um, really would be a good signing. But as you've rightly mentioned at the start of this piece, uh, Bournemouth, are, I mean, I can't imagine a world in which Bournemouth would sell in January at least, because I think they might be top at the minute or at least in the top three and look like they've got a really strong chance of going up. So to sell one of their best players um, would just be ludicrous, really. And the other fear, which will come into all West Ham's minds, a couple of hamstring issues. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, West Ham yeah. injuries. It, 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 it's certainly the old days. They, those things don't stay away once you once you come to West Ham. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, otherwise a really positive and it's a good link and one that would, I think, with the youth and the ability possibly to play in as a, a fill in as a defensive left back as well. It's just yeah. it would make a lot of sense. Yeah, nice. it t- ticks all the boxes, doesn't it? Moyes has clearly shown that he likes to recruit from the championship. Lloyd Kelly's proven himself as one of the best centre-backs in the league at that level. And Moyes also likes players that can play in more than one position. And Kelly's proven that he can play as a defensive left-back and a left-sided centre-back. So it, it kind of does seem to be the perfect centre-back for Moyes to bring in. Well, we were talking about Nathan Ake, weren't we, a, a couple yeah. of weeks ago? And this is like the the obvious budget Nathan Ake option. So. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the good old seal of approval. 
and that's what you meant. <laughs> uh, well, and on that note, I think we should set off um, our thanks going into the new year for 2020, 2022, even for those who have listened so far, uh, those who will listen onwards, all the best to you, especially to the likes of our YouTube cultures. I made a joke earlier, but I was very much kidding. We are very thankful anyone listens, people on the forum, Rio bigging us up on Ease Up Mother Brown. Thank you very much. Uh, our best wishes to everyone into the next year. But until we brave all anxiety. Ta-ta, I guess. <laughs> right, so we're here in the offices of a late late show with the host of a late late show, James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> and big knees up Mother Brown man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it, yeah. yeah. It's great. Yes, it's Find excitement them. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's what it that's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at KUMB.com. Come on, you irons. <laughs> <laughs>